through this, and there are some reoccurring themes. Uh, in fact, it's redundant reoccurring themes, but that's just like us. Um, we, we say, we hear it, we say, that's good, I don't need to hear it anymore, but actually we do. We need to hear it over and over and over again. I think as a pastor, that's one of the things that I, I do, um, is that I, I uh, say the same things over and over until we get it. Or I'll say something and then I haven't taught something for, oh, a little while or I guess a long while. And it's like, well, you know, we've got some new people in. We need to teach these things. And also, you know, we kind of forget what we've heard, what we've learned. Well, that's what we're going to see again tonight. Uh, The first part of this section of chapter 12 was Jehoash doing what was right before the Lord and it goes through all that he did and then as soon as the priest Jehoiada dies it starts to spiral downhill the question is uh, true character is shown by what we do when no one is watching well I think Jehoash fails the test when Jehoiada is no longer with him so at this point, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 12, and then also after you put your bookmark in that, because we all have electronic Bibles, put your bookmark in that, and then turn to 2 Chronicles 24. Uh, we're only going to look at five verses from Kings, but quite a few from 2 Chronicles. This is one of those sections where Some of the good stuff comes out of 2 Chronicles. So last week we talked about the beginning of Jehoash's reign. And so the beginning of it was good, but the ending of it is not so good. But I will go over what we did talk about last week. Uh, First of all, you remember it does say in verse 2 of chapter 12, that Jehoash did right before the Lord. Um, Then I put down Joash did right as long as Jehoiada was alive. And and we say, who is Jehoiada? Well, you remember uh, I showed this painting or drawing last week. Here's a picture of Jehoiada, the priest in the middle. And uh, I'm not sure if you could see it right there, but to his left and... Under his arm is little Jehoash. And to the right of him is Athaliah. So this was the exchanging of Athaliah as queen. And Jehoash, who had been hidden, he now becomes the king. So through modern technology, we're able to zoom in. All right, so there we have it. So again, uh, it's always interesting when you look at paintings and drawings You know, artists do have uh, thoughts behind what they do, and they convey things. They can't convey it in words because it's a painting. And so you see him under the coattail. You see him under his arm, um, little Jehoash, and Jehoiada is pointing. And then we have Athaliah to the right, and she is apprehended, and obviously Jehoiada is referring to her, and he's probably telling, according to scripture, he's probably telling the guards, do not kill her here. This is the house of the Lord. Take her outside and dispose of her. So this is uh, really how he came to power. As he grew up, one of the things that was on his heart was the building and the repairing, rather, the repairing of the temple. And this has always been close to God's heart. Look at what happened with David and Solomon. Uh, God told David that his son was going to build the temple, and it was a great temple, and it was an honor uh, for God uh, and lifted him up. And then if you remember, his Shekinah glory entered into the temple. And if you as a Jew wanted to Uh, experience the presence of God or you wanted to worship God, you had to do it there at the temple. Well, somewhere along the line, Jehoash gets this probably from Jehoiada 
And so he talks to the priest and he says, all right, collect the funds from your friends. Collect the funds so that we can start repairing the temple. So I consider you all my friends. And if we ever decided to do that, I'd be coming to you and asking you for a collection. I'm only jesting. Last week I talked about, you know, what bothered me about the gospel hour was that it was only a gospel half hour. The other half of that was asking for money, and that bothered me. And so I very seldom talk about finances unless it's in the text. Well, years went by, and nothing had been done. Not much had been collected, and there had been no repairs on the temple. So Jehoiada, with some administrative skills by this time, takes the responsibility away from the priests, who were probably up in their offices studying for the for Sunday's sermon. That's probably why they were so busy. Well, he removes the responsibility from them. It's not derogatory, but he removes it from them, and they make a collection box right at the back of the church. I shared last time that uh, the first church that I ever saw that was my church in Texas. It's called Faith Bible Church, and you would expect them to have a box like that, a collection box, and you don't pass the plate. Well, somewhere along the line, I didn't really catch that at the candidating meeting. And so when I came as pastor, I said something about the collection. And they said, oh, no, we don't take a collection. We just have a collection box. And, I mean, I wasn't against that, but I'm thinking to myself, man, I don't know how that's going to work. It was kind of like, well, if it doesn't work, we'll start passing the plate like a good Baptist preacher. Well, lo and behold, I learned. I learned that God is faithful. God is faithful and God's people are faithful and they never had to pass a plate. And uh, the same thing happened for us. We did that when COVID hit, but it's a great idea and we haven't had a problem. Well, that's what they did. So it's interesting that you almost see a biblical precedence for it. Well, they began to collect a lot of money that way. People were more than happy to contribute to the rep repairing of the temple. They paid the laborers to come in and do it. The temple utensils were made and even the priests were supplied. So this worked. And it says that Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Then we're going to begin with verse 15 from 2 Chronicles and after Jehoiada died. Then it goes downhill. The first thing we're going to look at is number one, Jehoash's apostasy. Apostasy means to turn away from the Lord, no longer following the Lord. Um, And so we're going to see that. And then we're going to see Jehoash's atrocities. His atrocities going to kill the prophet of God who's come to them to tell them they need to turn back to the Lord. And after that, we're going to take a look at Jehoash's judgment. And the judgment will come by way of a foreign leader who isn't a believer, but will be used by God as an instrument. And so that is Jehoash's judgment. And then we'll take a look at Jehoash's death. And we'll see that at the end of the chapter. Well, before we go any further, let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I thank you for the redundant reminders over and over. We need it. And yet, Lord, there are different nuances that we can learn from this section, different from last week. But nevertheless, Lord, we know that we need to follow godly advice, whether there's anyone around or not. We need to know and know that... that Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so we need to always be under the lordship of Christ. We also know that the sinful nature spirals downhill unless that person is saved and is yielding to the Holy Spirit moment by moment. So, Father, teach us these things. There's lots to learn. Let us be like Jehoiada, who lived a long life and yet influenced many, many people for the Lord. Father, we'll thank you for what you're going to teach us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right. So as we begin then to look at the end of Jehoash's reign. Now, I'd like to begin tonight in 2 Chronicles. So you have one bookmark in 2 Kings chapter 12. But let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. Because here's where many of the details are being brought in, especially about the death of Jehoiada and then the atrocities of Jehoash. So 2 Chronicles 24, beginning in verse 15. And it reads, Now, when Jehoiada reached a ripe old age, he died. He was 130 years old at his death. Well, I'm going to talk about the fact that he was 130 years old. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, but I want to talk about his ministry first. What kind of man was he? Well, he was a priest and he was a man of God. And his ministry took place during evil Athaliah, as well as Jehoash, who he raised. And it didn't matter whether a good king was in or an evil queen was in, he was going to be constant. And it says that he championed God's cause of righteousness during days of evil. Number one, he led the fight against idols. Number two, he permitted the coup against Athaliah to get her out of there. And number three, he granted the throne to Joash or Jehoash, same name, to bring about the subsequent revival. And so there was really a revival as long as Jehoiada was alive. Now, 130 years old, was he really 130 years old? Well, yes, if the Bible says so, I don't have a problem with it at all. But there are some who've taken this as a scribal error, saying that he did, he, when he said it, some scribe came along and through error made him 130 rather than something else. But it's very interesting if you look at the historical timeline about the time he would have become priest and about the time all of this was fulfilled, you could put in there 130 years. Plus the fact that he was a godly priest and God very well could have said, you know, you're going to live longer than the average person. And again, it's for God's people. God is for Israel and wants to see Israel go forward in as long as Jehoiada was alive, they were going forward. Well, verse 16 says, They buried him in the city of David, which isn't surprising, but this next phrase is, among the kings, because he had done well in Israel and to God and his house. So usually when you find out about somebody being buried, they say he was buried with his fathers. That's not a bad thing. But it's not with the kings. That's the honorable thing. And it's usually specifically for kings. Well, Jehoiada gets the honor. Of course, he doesn't know. He doesn't know it now. I mean, he doesn't know it then uh, uh, because he had passed away. But in any rate, he is so well appreciated and so well honored that they put him and they bury him with the kings. Now, one of the things that I, I read that somebody said, unfortunately, however, even though he was buried with the kings, when he died, the spirit of revival died with him. That is so sad. That is so sad. You know, I think sometimes of some of the Christian leaders that we have seen go home to be with the Lord, they certainly deserve it. Think of an R.C. Sproul and certain others. And you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking it's very difficult to replace some of them. And I understand he could raise up men to fill that spot. And yet, I think even from this text, it just goes to show that there are some men who are irreplaceable. Now, there are men who can lead, but not like certain men like R.C. Sproul and various others. Wouldn't that be great if that was said about us? Well, then we need to continue and constantly follow the Lord, whether anyone is watching or not, and no matter what happens in our life. 
Well, he was buried with the kings because he had done well in Israel and to God and his house is what it says. Well, what happens? As soon as his godly influence is gone, evil influence sees its opportunity. Where do you think it comes from? It comes from people within Judah. It comes from the officials who are into idolatry, even though Jehoiada was pushing this and even Jehoash was on board with it. Look at verse 17. But after the death of Jehoiada, and that's kind of an ominous phrase. You already know what's going to happen. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah, the leaders, the leading people, came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Now, you could just put that all together in your own mind. And first of all, they bowed down to show respect, but they also bowed down to have an audience with him. And the audience with him was to influence Jehoash, who up to this point, for all intent purposes, was following the Lord. And it says, and the king listened to them. Now we get the context with the next verse, verse 18. And this is sad. This is sad. This is one of those redundant, reoccurring themes, but it's still sad. It's sad every time you hear it. Verse 18, they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they served the Asherim and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their guilt. And so this is, as we put this context together, they came, they influenced him, he listened, and I don't know why. And all of a sudden, it says they abandoned the house of the Lord. Now, when it says they abandoned the house of the Lord, it means that they abandoned the Lord. doesn't mean that they abandoned because the repairs had been done on the house of the Lord. And notice, if you will, it says they abandoned the house of the Lord, comma, the God of their fathers. They abandoned God. That is called apostasy. That is called apostasy. When someone, even though they may profess to be a believer, they turn away and they abandon it. And it shows that they were not true believers in the first place. And so they abandoned the house of the Lord and then they worshiped, instead of Yahweh, they worshiped the Asherim. Now, we've talked about the Asherim. We've talked about Baal. Um, the Asherim uh, is plural for Asherah, the female goddess. And they began to worship her. Uh, this was the goddess that was worshipped throughout Syria and Canaan. So I have a picture of Asherah. And here is a picture. And this is somewhat typical. There's, they, they have her on a tree or as a tree with the roots sticking out. Well, I can't help it, but it almost reminds me of Groot from the Guardians of the Galaxy, okay? Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the symbolism is she brings life, she brings fruit, she brings fertility, and this is what she is worshipped for. Now, Asherim is plural because they had many Asherahs. And if they didn't have a tree, then they had a pole. Hence, you get the term the Asherah pole. So they would put these on a high place and they would put them on either on a tree that was there or a pole that was there. And here's a close-up of the roots. There's a close-up of the head. Uh, but also, too, there were um, other uh, little icons and idols that they would have of her. Um, so there's one, one of the pictures. Anyway, um, he went to worshiping the God of Syria and the God of Canaan. And after we saw the blessing upon the kingdom because of what he was doing and following the Lord, now it's about to turn. We see this theme over and over in the Old Testament. 
Well, that was his apostasy. And because of that apostasy, it says that the wrath, the Lord's wrath, was going to come upon Judah and Jerusalem. Notice how the action of the leader was going to bring somewhat of consequences on the rest. Now, I believe that also means that the leaders influenced a lot of people who had turned from idols to worship and serve Yahweh. Well, that's gone and and the Lord's wrath has come. Well, we're also going to see his atrocities because it doesn't end right there. So let's look at verse 19. By the way, by the way, what does it mean when it says that the wrath of the Lord is going to come upon them? Well, in this context, it means two things. Number one, he's going to send prophets. You say, well, that doesn't sound like the wrath of God. We'll wait till the prophets speak, and then we'll talk about their sin, and we'll talk about the wrath of God. And the second way in which the wrath of God is going to come in this context is God is going to raise up an enemy, an enemy who will come and destroy and kill many, many Israelites. All right, verse 19, God is going to send prophets, plural. It says, yet he, and that would be God, he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. So that's what you have. Any kind of discipline is to bring them back to the Lord. The word of God is there. It's strong, but it's to bring them back to the Lord. So when you have someone who falls away from the Lord, our objective is to bring them back to the Lord. Now, of course, in the New Testament, we're told to do that with um, no mercy, we're to do it with humility. We sure are, knowing that we too could fall. But this is our, our job, our calling to bring them back. If they don't know Christ, we bring them to Christ. Then we grow them in Christ. But if they slip away, we bring them back to Christ. Well, as we see here, it says, Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. Though they testified against them, they would not listen. So he's speaking to the officials, he's speaking to the king, and he's speaking to the people who have now been influenced. And there's irony here. There's irony. If you don't know anything else or learn anything else from the book of Kings, you'll learn about the word irony because I bring it up so often. Here's the irony, that the king listened to these evil idolaters but would not listen to God's prophets. That could be likened to us listening or our young people listening to the world but will not listen to their parents giving the word or the pastor giving the word. They will not listen to the word, but they listen to culture. And when you step away from that, you, 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 you have a hard time understanding that. Yet it's our own sinful nature that pulls us into that. So Joe... Jehoash did not listen. He's also Joash. So I, I'm going back and forth. And by the way, even, even the context is going to switch his name, but he is the same person. Well, along comes a priest who is the son of Jehoiada. His name is Zechariah. And he's going to be filled with the Spirit, and he's going to proclaim the word of God. And again, when you see in the Old Testament, it says, then the spirit of the Lord came upon him. This is the idea that this person is about to speak infallible, inerrant words of God. God will control that. That's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, then the spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And we would assume that he's a priest as well. Now he would be called a priest and a prophet since he now is about to give the prophecy. But look how, look how bold he is in his proclamation there of their sin. You know, as a pastor, as those who fill the pulpit, not every passage we study talks about sin, but a lot of them do, and we ought to talk about sin. We ought to call sin, sin, and that's the problem with culture that has tried to remove sin. And that's the problem with some of the discouraging 
movements in Christianity trying to take sin away, even taking away the fact that Christ atoned for sin. Well, if there is no sin, Christ doesn't have to atone for sin, but it's a shame that he died. Well, this is what Zechariah says. He stood above the people so that they could all hear and to give honor to the Lord's word and said to them, thus God has said, there it is again, thus God, that is what a prophet does. And he's 100% accurate. It's not like he picks himself to be a prophet and then says things and some of it comes true and some of it doesn't come true. This was someone who was filled with the spirit and these are God's words. God says, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord and do not prosper? Now, that's a two-pronged comment, but it's very wise being coming from the Lord, of course. The first one is, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord? Why do you, why do you disobey them? Why are you disobedient to them? After all, the covenant between God and Israel is all about their obedience, and God will protect them and bless them. Which brings up the second part of this Old Testament covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Why do you do this and you don't prosper? Now, we've probably all heard that argument or we've probably given that argument to our children and say, why, why did you do this? We're, we're not saying, why, why did you give in to this? We're saying, why did you do this to bring about these consequences? Weren't you thinking? And many times we weren't. And this is why we have to grow, grow in the Lord and grow in the word. We have to think about these things. It says, because you have forsaken the Lord, you want to know what the lack of blessing is? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. Those are some of the scariest words in the Bible, that the Lord has forsaken you. And we just talked last week about eternal security. So the believer, the true believer who has trusted in Christ will never lose his salvation. He will never be forsaken by the Lord. Praise the Lord. But I think on the same token, too, we will never see a true believer forsake the Lord and become apostate, turn away from the Lord. Now, I've heard and understand backsliding, but to me, that's not the same as being apostate in the sense that apostate just turns completely away. A backslider is not doing what he ought to. But I will say this, a backslider is in a very dangerous position because where do you fit? Do you fit with the apostates? Is that where you're going to go? Or do you fit back with the believers? And why aren't you going back with them? And John said, they went out from us because they were not of us. So in other words, their true colors come out and backsliding is just one step closer to apostasy. Yet, I believe that it is possible. Obviously, we can sin as believers. I believe that we can backslide for a time, uh, but eventually the Lord will bring us back. I believe that. So this is what he says. This is good. And you know what? Even though Jehoash didn't listen to Jehoiada, somebody was listening, his son. And you know, at the end of the day, we want to influence as many people as we can for Christ, but we're most concerned with our immediate family. That's Those are the ones that we really need to pray for. Those are the ones we need to constantly encourage. And those are the ones that we need to watch over. So here... We, we find out that somebody was listening to Jehoiada. And now that Jehoiada is gone, it doesn't matter because Zechariah, his son, is being faithful. And the Lord, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Well, what do you think they, they do? Do you think they're going to repent? No, they conspire to kill him. So notice how we go from being apostate, falling away from the Lord, to even further sin, an atrocity, killing a prophet of God who has just given you God's message that's in essence trying to kill God, which we could never do, or kill his message. Verse 21 says, so they conspired against him. 
and at the command of the king. So it's not like they did it without him knowing. They stoned him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. Now, first of all, I do want to make another comment, and that is, so this Zechariah is not the Zechariah in Scripture, the prophet, uh, because his father's name is Berechiah. That's what it says in Zechariah 1.1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the prophet, the son of Berechiah, who was the son of Iddo. So he's not the same. There is a passage in Matthew where it talks about Zechariah being killed between the altar and the temple, which would seem to almost suggest that it was him, but it's not. It, it, it is not. It's talking about from Abel to Zechariah, Israel killed its prophets. But it's not referring to this one. But I want to show you the irony. The irony is, once again, that Jehoash repaired the temple. And he was very, very uh, aggressive with it. And I think, and this is a, a, an outward sign that you're following the Lord. Well, when he commits this atrocity, he commits this atrocity in the court of the house of the Lord. So the house of the Lord he built has now become a place for murder. That's the atrocity that Jehoash did. And then verse 22 is a very interesting verse. It is the commentary of the author. The inspired author will give his opinion sometimes and tell you what has happened and how bad this is. And you want to see irony? Look at verse 22. Thus Joash, so now it's calling him Joash. Thus Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him. But he murdered his son. And as he died, that's Zechariah, he said, may the Lord see and avenge. So what's it talking about? Well, Jehoiada and his wife rescued the sons of Ahaziah, one son, not, not the others, but only one son, because Athaliah was putting them all to death, her grandchildren. So you want to talk about evil. If you can put your grandchildren to death, that's evil. So uh, but, she, but, but because she wanted the throne, she was going to get rid of all competition. But Jehoiada and his wife rescued Jehoash and kept him uh, and raised him for seven years until it was time to remove Athaliah and make him king. Yes, he was king at seven years, but he was under the tutelage, praise God, of Jehoiada the whole time. But Joash or Jehoash doesn't seem to remember this. And so not only is he murderous, but he's going to murder the son of the one who saved him. And so the commentary of the inspired writer says, Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which his father, and there it would be sort of like his adopted father um, or respectful and honorable his father Jehoiada had shown him, but he murdered his son. And, and more important than that, not that murder is okay in any case, more important than that, he murdered someone who spoke the words of God. That's trying to stifle out the message of God. And at the very end, while he's being killed, he says, may the Lord see and avenge. Now, it was just a moment ago that the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And we're going to see that the spirit of the Lord was still upon him when he said that. Because that's exactly what's going to happen. Well, as we continue on then, that is Second Chronicles. That was verses 19 through 22. We're now going to look at Jehoash's judgment. And we're first going to look at 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 
12, verse 17. So if you turn over there, and again, keep your bookmark in your electronic Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. Now, we're finally getting to the book of Kings, and we're getting to the section we finished up to verse 16 last time, but now we're going to look uh, at 2 Kings, and then we're going to put in 2 Chronicles. And it says, Then Haziel, king of Aram, went up and fought against Gath and captured it. And Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. So if you remember Haziel, he was the same one that caused Elisha to weep. As he was talking to him, Elisha breaks into tears and Haziel says, what's what's the problem? He says, I see all of the Jewish women and children that you are going to to kill. And we would suspect that this is even part of it. So this would be even part of it as as well. That by the way, let me read that. That's from 2 Kings chapter 8. So going back looking at the ministry of Elisha, It says, he, and I believe that's Elisha, fixed his gaze steadily on him, that's Hazael, until he was ashamed and the man of God wept. Hazael said, why does my Lord weep? Then he answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the sons of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire and their young men you will kill with the sword and their little ones you will dash in pieces and their women with child you will rip up. This is the one who's now coming against Jehoash, having no mercy, and the Lord is going to use him as an instrument of judgment. Now, God does that, not because he likes those instruments of judgment, but because he will use them for a time, and then he will also judge them for their own Evil, But now we see Haziel again. And it says, first he took Gath. Now, Gath, it was about 25 miles west of Jerusalem and Bethlehem, just to give you some idea. It was one of the five chief cities of the Philistines. Um, It was a walled town, and when... Joshua went up against it. He was unable to take it. And there were many, many conflicts that took place between the Israelites and the people of Gath. Now, this was also rendered the famous abode of Goliath, the giant whom David slew, and also of the giants who also had the genes and that entire race. Um, It was this place that also, when the ark was brought to it and they saw all the things going wrong, they said the ark was smitten, we need to get rid of it. Well, that's what happened in Gath. And so at this point, Hazael comes and conquers it. Then, if you notice what it said in verse 17, he set his face to go up to Jerusalem. This is a man with a purpose. That's what that phrase means. He set his face. This is what I'm going to do. And again, you can understand that the Lord, in fact, is going to even tell us that he is doing what the hand of the Lord is wanting him to do. Now, at this point, let's go back to 2 Chronicles. So 2 Chronicles chapter 24, let's look at verses 23 and 24. So this is sometimes one book of the Kings and the Chronicles, they say basically the same thing. There's no need to even go back and forth. Sometimes there isn't anything from one of the books from Chronicles while we're studying Kings. But this time, there's a lot of information in the book of Chronicles. So that's Second Chronicles 24, beginning in verse 23. 
So it's going to talk about it's going to talk about Haziel coming in. Verse 23 reads, Now it happened at the turn of the year that the army of the Arameans came up against him. And they came to Judah and Jerusalem. So it said they were about to go against Jerusalem and Judah. Now Chronicles says they actually did. They destroyed and killed a lot of people, but he is pointing out they destroyed all the officials of the people from among the people. These are the ones who influenced Jehoash to become an idolater. And here in God's judgment, they're getting it first. They are going to get it first. And then look at verse 24. It says, indeed, the army of the Arameans came with a small number of men. Yet the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands. That's the, the Israelites. They had a great army. And probably when they came, they said, this is going to be no problem. This is going to be our lightweight stuff. Except that the Lord delivered their army into the hands of the Arameans. And it says, because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. This is the consequences of that. And then it says, thus they executed judgment on Joash. So the idea here is this is what the Lord is using. And, and it's no surprise. You see this in the Old Testament. You see this when in Deuteronomy 28, it talks about if you don't follow the Lord, he will send foreign nations against you. He will send foreign nations against you. And then he will say, and if you still don't refuse, at some point, you will be taken into captivity into these foreign nations. Well, that's what's going to happen, isn't it? Both the northern and the southern kingdom are going into captivity, but I'm going ahead of myself, but not much. All right, so he executes judgment upon Israel and Joash the king. He becomes an instrument of judgment. We saw this in the book of Jeremiah. We saw that there were these nations all around Israel and, and some of them would come and just do terrible destruction to Judah and also Jerusalem. And, and, you're, and you're wondering why but the Lord is using them as an instrument of judgment. And then at the end of the book of Jeremiah, every one of them, boom, 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 is judged by the Lord. Well, we have to now turn back to verse 18 of chapter 12 of 2 Kings. Or if you're getting confused, I'll just read it. In 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 18, it says this, Jehoash, now he's Jehoash, Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things and all the gold that was found among the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent them to Hazael, king of Aram. Then he went away from Jerusalem. So here it is. How was he going to stop him? He was going to pay. So he was going to pay with the things that were dedicated to the temple. Now, many times this is the spoils that the king's um, were able to obtain by conquering, and then they would dedicate it to the Lord. They would be sanctified to the Lord. It was then the Lord's from that point on. That's what it means to be sanctified, set apart, made holy, dedicated to the Lord. And we see that he's taking those things, and they're the Lord's things, and he's giving them to Hazael, and this has indeed stopped him. Now, um, Second Chronicles makes just one little comment about that and says, and he sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus, which would be the same one, Damascus being Syria, and Syria also is part of the area of 
the Arameans. Um, and now we come to his death. Both Second Kings talks about it, and also Second Chronicles talks about the death of Jehoash. Well, let's first go to Second Kings chapter twelve, verse nineteen. And at this point, it's going to say, now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? I want to point this out. Now, we always hear this at the end of a king's reign. And most of the time, when it's talking about the book of kings, it's talking about the royal documents that are kept by the, the secular people. And... But in this case, I believe it is referring to the book of Chronicles. Because notice what it says, the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah. And then in the same text over in Second Chronicles, it's going to make the same thing about go look at the book of kings because the rest of it is in there. So most of the time when you see a similar phrase to this, it's not referring to Chronicles. But I believe this instance it is. Well, what is going to happen? And so it says that if you want to read the rest of it, go to Second Chronicles, and then he is going to proceed to talk more about Jehoaz. Well, I think what it means is, hey, go over there and look at the detail. By the way, we do this with what's called the harmony of the Gospels. So you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you find bits and pieces of a story. But, and when I say story, I don't mean fiction. I, I, I mean true events. But there's only part of it, part of the narrative in one, the part of the narrative of another. And when you put them all together, it becomes really fascinating. You do some detective work and you start to get the big picture. Well, that's what's happening here between Kings and Second Chronicles. And in verse 21... It says, and it's going to name some of the individuals. Hold on a second here. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, we have to read verse 20. Before, I'm sorry, we do. We have to read verse 20 before we get to verse 21. But don't worry, because verse 21, and I, it may be hard to know, but verse 21 is right after verse 20. You heard that here. All right, verse 20. Here's what happened. His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash at the house of Milo as he was going down to Scylla. And so there's a conspiracy of some of the faithful followers of Yahweh because of what Jehoash did, killing Zechariah, the priest who was prophesying, there is a conspiracy out against him. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 20. And then from that point on, it gives some of the people that are involved. So these are heroes in the sense that they are removing, just like they removed Athaliah, the evil Athaliah queen, now they are removing the evil Jehoash. For Jazakar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehazabad, the son of Shomer, his servants struck him and he died. And I'm just going to stop there. We go over to Second Chronicles and it picks it up in verse 25 and it says, when they had departed from him, that would be when Haziel's army departed. It says, for they left him very sick. His own servants conspired against him. And here it is. This is why we were told to go to this book. Because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest. And murdered him on his bed, so he died. So he was murdered on his bed in Milo. Now, I'm going to go back again. It says in 2 Kings, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. And you're wondering, okay, was it 
his fathers as a king? Was it with the kings? Well, when we look at 2 Chronicles, it leaves no guesswork. It says this, So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. So what did we see here? Jehoiada, an honorable priest, honored by Israel and is buried with the kings. But here, a king who should have been honorable is not buried with the kings because he's dishonorable. And so he's buried with his fathers. Not that being buried with your fathers is dishonorable. But if you're a king, it is. And then... Verse 26 of Second Chronicles 24 says, Now these are those who conspired against him, Zabad, the son of Shimeath, the Ammonitus, and Jezebad, the son of Shimrith, the Moabitus. So we're, it fills in some of the names. And then verse 22, after telling some of the names of the ones who were heroes and killed him, it says, And Amaziah his son became king in his place. So uh, we're going to see an addition now to the kings. We see Jehoash there under the left side, the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom. Now that he's dead, we're going to see a little bit of Amaziah. So he's going to take his place. Well, let me just with the remaining time, let me see if I can't make some observations and applications. Again, they may be reoccurring. That's all right. And we've got a long way to go. There'll be many reoccurring themes. So we said last week already that Jehoash listened to the godly advice of Jehoiada and how that was so important. And so when we as Christians and also parents, we, we need to be faithful in teaching and influencing and we need to impress upon them the wisdom of hearing. We need to teach them how to hear. We need to teach them how to hear and put into practice. And then we also need to teach the other side of it. Don't follow the advice of ungodly people. That's just as important. And you can't say this enough to Christians growing in the Lord, or you can't say this enough to our children or our grandchildren. Follow godly advice. Follow the word of God. Don't follow ungodly advice. And of course, how do you tell the difference? Well, you combine it with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You're strengthening them with that. And you also need to teach them the blessings of following the Lord and the consequences of not following the Lord. Now, I don't mean we're going back under the Old Testament covenant, but it is true. God will discipline his own in order to bring his own back. And there is a blessing, even though there's difficulty uh, sometimes as we're trying to minister. Um, there is blessing. There's blessing of seeing people come to Christ even in hostile environments. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So this is what we need to do and what we need to teach. Follow godly advice and not ungodly advice. I know, very simple, very basic but very important to apply. That's the key. Now that we understand it, put it into practice. Secondly, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Especially with Jehoiada, uh, or I'm sorry, especially without Jehoiada, uh, as Jehoash didn't have him anymore, he was the king. He could do whatever he wanted to do. You know, from the time that he was seven till the time that Jehoiada died, he was basically being instructed and told what to do. Now he has his freedom. I can do whatever I want to do. No, you can't. You could if there was no creator. You could if there was no God of the universe. And you could if he wasn't a moral being. But because he is all of those things, you can't do whatever you want to do, even though you may think it for a time. But this idea of absolute power corrupts absolutely. Why is that a saying? Because it's happened so many times. Why has it happened so many times? Because of man's sinful nature. Man's sinful propensity. 
These are propensities that we all have to guard from. And we do this by the Holy Spirit. We do this by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And we're just, we're, we're just very careful about that. That when, if we ever get a sense of freedom, whatever that may mean, I'm not living with my parents anymore. Or, uh, you, know, um, you know, well, um, I'm not going to a specific church and they used to preach about sin. And now this church I'm going to, they don't preach about sin. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Well, you must guard against that. You must guard against that because the third point is there is a downward spiral with depravity. Depravity never gets better. Now, what is depravity? Depravity doesn't mean that I do every sin of the worst kind all the time. Depravity means that I can. I have the depravity that I can. Even Christians can fall. And what I find so interesting is that the moment least in the scripture as it's revealed, the moment that Jehoash listens to those evil men and the moment that he agrees to abandon the worship of Yahweh and he agrees to now celebrating Baal worship and Asherah worship and all of this, the moment that he abandons worship of the Lord, it's just another step, the next step to you commit atrocity the atrocity of killing Zechariah. And so it is interesting, and it even talks about in the book of Romans about people going so far headlong into sin that God finally says, you want it? Have at it. And take the consequences that go with it. Being turned over even to a depraved mind. This is what happens. This is what depravity does. Again, Unless we're believers, and we still have sin nature, and we can still call it depravity, but it's the Holy Spirit working in our lives, and hopefully we're doing everything we can for ourselves and for others to maintain a constant walk. Now, we hear about a constant walk all the time, constant walk. Hear it, hear it in our Bible studies. We hear it from the pulpit. We hear it all over. But it's the true constant walk, taking it seriously, that Admonition should never become laborious for us. Oh, that again. Oh, saying the same thing again. You bet. You bet. Because this is what we need to continue on. And then finally, the, the fourth one is, it was interesting that we see so many in this last narrative of kings between Athaliah and Jehoash, where they're not at all ashamed or afraid to kill someone's son. In Athaliah's case, it was her grandchildren. In Jehoash, he was killing the son of someone who raised him. And there was no kindness given. And so, again, we see sinful nature that's full bore. But I want to remind us that we have received grace and kindness because the Lord gave his son for us. That's completely different than what we've been reading here. And I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And that is a great blessing. That is a great blessing and it's a blessing of grace. And then he says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Now we're speaking the language of Ephesians with all the positional truths and the spiritual blessings. But those things ought to make an impact on our life. We ought to be gracious. Now, I'm not saying we're winking at sin or, or excusing sin, but we ought to be kind. We ought to be gracious because we have experienced this. Jehoash was a terrible example, but this ought to influence our lives and all of our dealings to be gracious and kind because of what we've received in Christ and maybe. They will see the kindness of the Lord in and through us and come to Christ. So 
follow godly advice, not ungodly advice. Absolute power corrupts absolutely without a good influence. Depravity's downward spiral, apostasy to atrocity, and we need to make sure that we pass on the grace that we've received. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths. They are really not new. Yet, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit brings a freshness to them, perhaps just a different aspect of it. But the bottom line, Lord, is that we need to constantly follow you. That not following you is a step away from getting involved in the more sin. Father, we need to understand our propensity of sin with the sin nature. But we also have a new nature that is created after the likeness of Christ who gave himself for us that we might have eternal life. Help us, Lord, with these things, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.